us on this sacred night. In the early church, the 40 days before Easter were designated as a time of particular devotion and discipline marked with prayer and fasting and reading of scripture. New converts would prepare and be examined for baptism on Easter morning. Modern practices of Lent continue this tradition as a time of preparation as we consider the promises and mystery of the resurrection and how they are intricately connected to the mystery and the reality of our own sin and death. Ash Wednesday, of course, marks the beginning of this season, and it's a time when we're called to deepen our relationships with God and one another, not in sentimental ways, but with a clear understanding of the cost of discipleship and salvation. So it is on this holy night when God invites us to step through the threshold with Jesus toward the cross. One more thing. It's not simply a story where God is the actor and we are passive, uh, passive observers. It's not as if you all are in a theater and we are watching Jesus do all the hard work. This is the embodied narrative of our lives. We listen, we learn, we experience, we practice, we forget, we turn away, we resist, we ignore, we suffer, we turn back, we remember. And the entire time, God is right there with us, forgiving us, catching us, encouraging us. Although the story existed long before Mary enfolded him safely in her arms, Jesus embodies this reality in this story. We are dust, and to dust we shall return. Let us worship God.
I invite you to stand as you are able as we call ourselves to worship using scripture from the prophets Isaiah and Joel. Blow the trumpet, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, turn back with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. We will return to the Lord our God, who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Then our light shall break forth like the dawn. Our healing shall spring up quickly and the Lord shall be our rear guard. Then we shall call and the Lord will answer. We shall cry for help and the Lord will say, here I am. Let us pray. Gracious God, out of your love and mercy, you breathed into dust the breath of life, creating us to serve you and our neighbors. Call forth our prayers and acts of tenderness and strengthen us to face our mortality that we may reach with confidence for your mercy. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forevermore. Amen. may be seated. I don't think that's true that we walk by ourselves, and that's what tonight is all about, although I love that hymn. While Jesus invites us to turn toward Jerusalem, our first step is turning back toward God. Folks couldn't quite put their fingers on who Jesus was, but they were afraid. We know that. He was a good rabbi. He healed folks. He crossed boundaries that were not supposed to be crossed. But most of all, he was beginning to threaten the status quo by reclaiming the power and the truth of Scripture for those who were oppressed and suffering at the hands of elite landowners, religious authorities, and of course, Rome. Jesus was an old school prophet. 
The scribes and the priests and anyone who took their faith seriously knew the stories of the prophets. From generation to generation, the prophets were game changers and playmakers. We talk about our golfers in the same way. There was Jack and Arnold and Gary and Sam and, of course, Tiger. Our musicians, Elvis, Louie, Jimmy, Nina, Johnny. Our NBA players, Wilt, Larry, Kobe, Magic, Shaquille, Kareem, LeBron, Michael. Our prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, Amos, Micah, Joel, you get the point. With conviction and love, prophets were playmakers and game changers. They unapologetically spoke God's truth to people in crisis, people with their backs against the wall, as Howard Thurman would put it, people without a plan B or a safety net or a way out, people with nowhere else to turn. And so tonight's scripture draws us to the Old Testament in the voice of the poetic prophet Joel. At some point, after the first temple fell and the new one was raised somewhere in the rural landscape outside of Jerusalem, across the pasture lands and the vineyards and the orchards and the fields of grain, there had been a terrible plague of locusts. Joel said it was worse than any other locust attack in the history of Israel. It left the entire region empty with nothing to feed their animals or their children, nothing to offer to the temple. And so what do we do now? We listen to Joel, chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God. For God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishing. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God? Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the aged, gather the children, even the infants at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room, and let the bride leave her canopy. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priest and the ministers of the Lord weep. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your heritage a mockery, a byword among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? May God bless the hearing and the speaking of God's holy word. Amen. What do we do now? Nowhere else to turn. Jack, his three sisters and parents, they live nearby. If there was a puddle, he jumped. If there was mud, he rolled. If there was a rock, it was thrown. If there was sidewalk chalk, his face and legs and hands were blue. 
hours of Legos and tree climbing and baseball. There was a twinkle in his eye. He was thoughtful and loving and curious and sensitive and quiet and tender and mischievous and tough. And he grew up. If there was a match, it was lit. If there was a bully, he was punched. If there was a rule, it was broken. He had a high sense of justice, but he questioned authority. He was still quiet. He was still sensitive. He was still thoughtful. He was still tender and tougher than nails. Eventually, he struggled with anxiety and depression, but no one knew. He resisted help. He lost friendships. He tried to hold on. He denied. He pretended. Now, I'm not sure if his back was up against the wall or if he didn't know where to turn or what it was, but by the time he was 15 or 16, if there was a joint, it was smoked or a pill, it was swallowed or a hit, it was taken. Until one day he took a Xanax and didn't know it was laced with fentanyl. And two of the most loving and dedicated parents I have ever met had nowhere to turn either. Can you imagine that beautiful field on the verge of a harvest, 15 years of tilling and seeding and fertilizing and watching and praying and hoping for a life of abundance and joy, and the locusts swarm, and within an hour, it was all gone. Barren, empty, dry. It seemed like legions of insatiable grasshoppers invaded their plans and their hopes and their reality and their stability and their boy. The prophet Joel talks about the locusts as if they were an army invading an entire nation. They were violent and swift and unexpected and unrelenting. Mental illness is that way. Cancer is that way. Tragic accidents of all sorts are that way. Grief is that way. Betrayals of all sorts are that way. Extreme loneliness and heartbreak, they are that way. We aren't immune. We aren't spectators watching in our pews. We have avoided Jerusalem altogether for over two years, protecting, maintaining, waiting, growing, resisting, denying, and yes, we have taken responsible, responsibility for our physical well-being, but what spiritual implications will we face? We have been told to keep safe, don't breathe, don't touch, don't gather, don't share, don't trust, survive, 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 but where do we turn when there's nowhere else to turn? Evidently, to experience a plague of locusts was so horrific that those stories were intentionally passed down from generation to generation. Oh, we don't talk about our locust stories much, do we? But they did back then. Exodus, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Joel. There was a novel written in 1924 by this guy named O.E. Rolvag. It's called The Giants of the Earth. It's about a Norwegian group of immigrant, immigrants who settled on the prairies of South Dakota. He describes a locust attack. 
And from now on, out of the sky gushed down with cruel force a living, pulsating stream, striking the backs of the helpless folks like pebbles thrown by an unseen hand. The whole pace was a weltering turmoil of raging little demons. One saw nothing but glittering, lightning-like flashes that came and went in the heart of a cloud made up of innumerable dark brown clicking bodies. All the while, the roaring sound continued. They whizzed by in the air. They literally covered the ground. They lit on the heads of the grain, on the stubble, on everything in sight. Millions and millions of them, he writes. And in an hour like this, he turned to reprove his neighbor and say, now the Lord is taking back what he has given. I might have guessed that I would never be permitted to harvest such wheat. That was asking too much. Their entire existence was devastated, standing right there in the middle of the promised land of milk and honey yet again in less than 60 minutes, all they can see toward the horizon is dust, a wasteland. They were not spectators. And you and I both know what that's like. Yet even now, yet even when we are staring at a wasteland, Joel says, turn back. Turn back to God. Turn back to me with all you've got, with all your mind and will and heart and soul, with all your understanding. Joel is preaching tonight, and he says, yet even now, locusts and all, turn back because this God of ours is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in a love so deep that it is rooted in an ancient promise that was finally realized and offered to all of us, disoriented, disheveled, disobedient, discombobulated, all of us people, by way of God's own boy hanging on an old wooden cross, as if God had nowhere else to turn. What wondrous love is this? Blow the trumpet, Joel says, because in Christ there is always, always someone and somewhere to turn. Rend your hearts, Joel says. Tear them open, fast and weep and mourn. Joel is well-intentioned, if not a little bossy. It is as if he is saying, look, I don't know how this whole thing is going to turn out with the wasteland, but I do know that we are called to reorient and reposition our lives in a way that reflects our utter dependence and devotion and gratitude toward God. You never know how God's going to respond, but we have good hope in a good history. Shane Claiborne is a writer, and his priests once asked their congregation, what is the difference between a flute and a stick in the mud? Well, he went on, the stick in the mud is full of itself. The flute has been emptied of itself so it can make music. In a world where many of us are full of our own sense of control and ideas and expectations, perhaps we do need to be emptied of ourselves so that our lives can make better music. 
You see, God is God. And sometimes we forget that. Because there are amazing rehab centers, some of which my friend Jack and his parents have benefited from and embraced with great courage and hope. There are treatment plans and medical professionals. There are second and third and fourth and fifth chances. And there are dating apps for people when they're ready. And sometimes a B or a C is really worth celebrating. And so blow the trumpets or flutes. Get back to the temple, Joel says. Assemble the age, gather the kids, bring in the babies. Be mindful of the young adults because tonight we begin walking together towards Jerusalem where we will find our path to new life. And that path leads us through the cross. Amen. Join with me in the litany of confession from Psalm 51. Let us pray. Holy and merciful God, we confess to you and to one another and to the whole communion of saints in heaven and on earth that we have sinned by our own fault in thought, word, and deed, and by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, mind, and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We have not forgiven others as we have been forgiven. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your steadfast love. We have not listened to your call to serve as Christ served us. We have not been true to the mind of Christ we have grieved your Holy Spirit. Have mercy on us, me, according to your steadfast love. We confess to you, O God, our past of unfaithfulness, the pride, hypocrisy, and impatience in our lives. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Our anger and self-loathing, our envy of those who, have more, who are more fortunate, and our fear of never having enough. I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Our intemperate love of worldly things, obsession with money, our dishonesty in our daily life and work, and our misguided priorities. Against you, you alone, I have sinned. Our lack of intention and our legit in prayer and worship and our failure to condemn the faith that is in us. You desire truth and in inward being. Teach us wisdom in our secret heart. For our neglect of human need and suffering and our indifference to injustice and cruelty, hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. For all false judgments, for spiteful thoughts toward our neighbors and for our prejudice and contempt toward those who are different from us. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. For our waste and pollution of your creation and our lack of concern for those who come after us, restore to me the joy of your salvation 
O God, let your anger depart from us. Open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. The sacrifice acceptable to you is a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, have mercy in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, God gives it all for us. Not one single thing has ever been held back or will be. 
We invite you now to consider ways in which you might empty yourself out, give of yourselves, your lives, and your treasures. Tonight, our offering will be placed on the stand, and when you come forward for the imposition of ashes, you may place it in the offering plate.
Now we pray together. Almighty God, you have created us out of the dust of the earth. Grant that these ashes may be to us a sign of our mortality, that we may remember that it is only by your grace that we are given everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. to be together here in this sacred place and as you leave return your heart to God rend your heart and not your clothes and go in peace and the assurances that the promise of the resurrection are true for you on this day and forevermore amen <laughs>